God has uh, not been answering my prayers this year. I prayed that COVID would last for two weeks, and God said no. I prayed that uh, the church would be free to do uh, what we have been called to do, and God said no. Most recently, I prayed uh, and have been praying that the presidential election would be a decisive one way or the other. It would be a landslide, either blue or red wave, um, but a, a definitive statement on uh, what America you know, wants, um, principally because I'm very, very disturbed about the divisions going on in the country, the, the hatred between right and left, just to just say, hey, we're done with it. And God said no. And there have got to be uh, some of you who are like me, who are like, uh, if God's in charge, um, what does that look like? And how is that mediated? Like, like this, is, this is crazy. And I'd like to invite you to see with me how the Bible thinks about God's exercise of control, God's rule over the world. And I want us to think about that specifically in the context of 2020, of where we're sitting right now. Uh, my, my understanding is that the latest is that uh, the networks have declared uh, that Joe Biden is the president-elect. The Trump campaign has uh, refused to accept that. Trump is not conceding. It's going to go to the courts. Uh, and there, it seems like there's, there's no end in sight. And I want to know, how is God operating right now? Listen to this text. It's from the Proverbs. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of Yahweh. He directs it wherever he wants. Everyone's path is straight in their own eyes, but Yahweh weighs the heart. In Hebrew, uh, the word for king is melech, and there's also a female version, uh, melechah, king, queen. But it really, it, it, it's, not, it's not just, um, we tend to think about kings in terms of like Queen Elizabeth, and robes, and scepters, and, and that sort of thing. Really, the, the ancient world, they're thinking about kings almost more in terms of tribal chiefs. Right? The, the person who's, who's at the top of any organization, of, of any community, those, those, are, those are kings. And so when we think about kings, we tend to think about, you know, like I said, King George III or whomever. But really, uh, from the Bible's perspective, uh, Governor Newsom is a king. Right? Um, whoever the president is on January whenever is, is the king. Uh, moreover, Jeff Bezos is a king. Sergey Brin is a king. Tim Cook is a king. Mark Zuckerberg is a king. And listen to what the proverb says about kings. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of Yahweh. That word uh, channels, can, it can mean either one thing, two, two different things uh, in Hebrew. It can mean like a canal that is uh, the overall direction of a river, like the shore to shore, where the shores are located. It can also mean, it can also mean uh, the, the little individual paths in the river, the currents and eddies. It can, it can be both, it can be either. And so an eddy, uh, for those of you who are not familiar, eddies look like this. 
Um, eddies are parts of the river where um, there's like sort of an outcropping and, and, the, and the rush of the river, river causes like a little kind of peaceful circular space, which is particularly good for, for fishing because uh, fish like to use that as a spot to kind of rest and eat. And so if you're a fisherman, it's like it's, you know, shooting fish in a barrel. No, that's a little too on the nose. Uh, but it's something like that where it, it's, it's an easier spot to, to fish. And, and so it could be that the, the, the Proverbs is saying that the king's heart is like, like the currents and the eddies. So that the rush of the river is going this way, and then, and then God like, can just direct it a different direction. Right? It could be that, that the, the king has uh, his eyes set on this, that, or the other thing. And then at some point, God says no, and says like that, and turns it aside. But it can also mean, and, and I think, and honestly, I think, uh, you know, the Proverbs are, uh, their, their wisdom aphorisms, their poetry uh, in Hebrew, and I think it can mean both. Uh, it can also mean uh, a, a meander, uh, a meander. Let me show you what a meander is on a river. This is a, a video of a river in Peru from 1985 to 2013, so about 30 years. We're going to see what happens to this river over a 30-year period. Now, if you, if you watch and you notice, it starts out as like one little river, then it turns into like an extra loop, and then that loop gets cut off. What's going on over a, really a very short period in terms of geological time is that the river dramatically changes its location. And ancient people were very aware of this because they were much more dependent on flowing water than we are to, to, to survive. And so they were very aware that a river had both these little channels and streams, and also that over in the long term and in the larger term, that the river itself... Sh- uh, could be shaped, and the, the, the shores could move, its direction could change, its location could change. That's called a meander, when the shores over time of, of a river uh, move right or left. And so it could be that what, what the proverb is saying is it's saying that the, the heart of a king is like an eddy, it's like a current, God just turns it aside whenever God wants. Or it could also be, and I think this is the case, I think it also means that, that the, the king's heart, Tim Cook's heart, Mark Zuckerberg's heart, Joe Biden's heart, tr- uh, President Trump's heart, uh, can, can meander, it can, it can shift over time and be a part of a very long and widespread process where the decisions that the king makes have long-term consequences that are very hard to see in the present. Well, what does that mean? It means that if the Bible is right, it means that the king is not the king. The king is not the king. This is hard for us to see because we imagine that Mark Zuckerberg can do whatever he wants and press a button and make sure that this is seen and that's not. We know if you've seen the, the documentary, The Social Dilemma, uh, you know that what uh, the social media companies do is they, they, they corral us into echo chambers where we only hear um, on our social media feeds from people that we agree with, right? And they do this because it makes them money, right? They, their ad clicks are much higher when you don't ever see anything that bothers you. And so Mark Zuckerberg thinks he's the king, but the proverb says the king is not the king. But is that true? Is that right? And if so, how do we know? Well, let's go back 2,700 years. 
Let's step back in time, 2,700 years, and let's listen to what the prophet Isaiah said about the Assyrians. Doomed to Assyria, rod of my anger, in whose hand is the staff of my fury. Against a godless, na- a godless nation I send him. Against an infuriating people I direct him to seize, spoil, steal, plunder, trample them like mud in the streets. What's happening is uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, what eventually becomes called Samaria, has abandoned God. For a long period of time, and God keeps warning them, if you don't turn back, I'm going to smash you. If you don't turn back, I'm going to smash you. And finally God says, okay, I've found somebody to smash you. His name is Sennacherib. He's an Assyrian king. And I'm going to direct him down, and he's going to smash you. And he did. That's what happened. Uh, the, the northern kingdom of Israel was wiped out. But, but Sennacherib had other plans. Verse 7, he has other plans. He schemes in secret. Destruction is on his mind. It's extermination of nation after nation, including Jerusalem, Israel, the southern kingdom. But when Yahweh has finished all his work on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, he will punish the Assyrian king's arrogant actions and boasting of his haughty eyes. Sennacherib did what he said, he, he, what the prophet said he would do. He went, he wiped out the northern kingdoms of Israel, but Sennacherib wasn't, wasn't satisfied. What he really wanted was a direct access to Egypt, and right in his way was Jerusalem and the southern kingdom. And so, in 701 BC, we know that he set up a, a siege of Jerusalem around King Hezekiah. He, he marshaled a force of probably 100 to 200,000 men, and he surrounded the city. And he said, I'm tired of your rebellion, you do what I say. And they said, no, we are going to be faithful to God. In the scriptures it says, and I have a picture here, uh, an angel came and wiped out 185,000 of his men. Uh, An angel came. Scholars tend to think that this was probably a a plague that the angel brought. Some kind like cholera or plague from rats. But whatever was the case, it completely annihilates the army. Sennacherib goes right back up to, to his home in Assyria and he never touches Jerusalem again. How do we know this is the case? Well, on the left there, you see Sennacherib's prism, discovered in 1830. It describes all of the stuff that Sennacherib did from uh, 702 down to 699, 698 B.C. All of his attacks and his his conquering. You know what he did? He lists all the places he conquered. He even says in the spring of 701 B.C., that's not how they termed it, but that's when it happened, that Sennacherib laid siege to Jerusalem. And then in 700 B.C., he did this, 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 this. It just stops. It's because in the ancient world, uh, if you made an imperial decree, you weren't allowed to say anything negative about your king. And so the, the prism says he laid siege to Jerusalem. You're like, what happened next? And then it's the next year, and he's off doing other things. Because we know what happened, his, his siege failed. And as Scripture indicates, his army was wiped out. And he was afraid for the rest of his life to attack Jerusalem. In one respect, you know, his heart was turned. God said, go after this. And in another respect, uh, the, the lasting implications of what he did uh, channeled down throughout the, the ages that this small little kingdom, Israel, survived. Why? Because the king is not the king. Sennacherib is a drop in the bucket. He's, he's, he's nothing. He's ash now. But God had a plan for Israel. God had a plan said, I'm doing something through you, and so I'm going to preserve you against all odds. And whenever you wonder what's happening, remember, the king is not the king. I am. Israel forgot 
Fast forwarding 200 years, the, the people of Israel have been sent into exile. They're living in Babylon. And, and, and the, the prophet says this to, to Cyrus the Great, uh, the king of Persia who conquers Babylon. Yahweh says to his anointed, that's Messiah in Hebrew, uh, using exactly the same language that's going to be used about Jesus uh, later on. Uh, my Messiah, Cyrus, whom I have grasped by the strong hand to conquer nations, disarm kings, open doors, so no gates will be shut. I'm going to go before you, Cyrus. I will level mountains. I'll shatter bronze doors, cut through iron bars. I will give you hidden treasures of secret ridges. Why? So you'll know that I'm Yahweh, the God of Israel, who chose you, Cyrus, by name. For the sake of my covenant people, I called you by name. I gave you an honored title, though you did not know me. Twenty-five hundred years ago, the people of Israel are, are in captivity in Babylon. Cyrus comes in, wipes out the Babylonians, and what he's thinking about is how to expand his empire. And he comes into contact with a small group of people. Uh, Cyrus was a Zoroastrian, uh, meaning that he was, at the time, a very rare type of religious person. He believed in one God, a creator God. And that was very odd. People didn't understand that. Cyrus was a little bit of a philosopher himself. And he comes across this small group of people in Babylon who've been there for 80 years, languishing with no land of their own, and he finds out they believe in, a, in the same God, the creator God, the one God, and they believe that he's the God of their country, Israel. We have a picture here. Um, this, is the, uh, this is Cyrus's uh, cylinder on the right. Cyrus' cylinder indicates that what Cyrus did is he, he had this kinship with this random people, and he did something absolutely unprecedented in human history. In human history, it had never been the case that a, a group of people were taken from their land, their land was destroyed, wiped out, and then that same people came, and they returned back and rebuilt it. That had never happened before. That's why there's no land of the Amorites now. There's no land of the Philistines. There's no land of uh, all countless tribes and nations that have gone the way of history into the dustbin. But there is, there is, and still is, Israel. Well, Cyrus, he found this, and he sent him back. He began a decades, 100, 200-year-long process of repopulating the ancestral land of Israel. He thought he did it for political reasons. He thought he was going to protect uh, his southern flank against Egypt by having a friendly allied nation. What was really happening was behind the scenes, God was taking his heart. He was channeling it like a current in the stream. And he was causing Cyrus to do things that would have implications for hundreds, literally thousands of years of history. Because the king is not the king. Cyrus the Great is ash. But an unprecedented resurrection happened in Israel. Let's fast forward another couple hundred years. The, the people have been slowly trickling back down, uh, caravan after caravan, going back down uh, to their ancestral homeland in Israel. But unfortunately, they've gone with very few resources, or at least not enough to, to protect themselves against the surrounding bandits. And so uh, the king's cupbearer, Nehemiah, visits. He visits uh, his ancestral homeland. He finds out that the, the walls are crumbling, the people are starving, and he's, he's, he's 
torn apart. And, and so he comes back uh, to uh, Cyrus's gr- uh, great-grandson, Artaxerxes, who's on the throne, and he's the boss. And he goes back to the king, and, he, and, and this, is what ha- this is what he says. He says, or King Artaxerxes asks me, why do you seem sad? You're not sick. You must have a broken heart. Nehemiah is terrified because he's about to ask something that nobody asks the king. And he's certainly not an important guy. He's just a cupbearer, food taster. He's not anybody super special. But he has his moment. He has his opportunity. And he says, may the king live forever. Why shouldn't I seem sad when the city, the place of my family's graves, is in ruins, its gates destroyed by fire? The king said, what do you need? I prayed to, this is Nehemiah in the first person, I prayed to the God of heaven and replied, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, please send me to Judah, to Jerusalem, to the city of my family's graves that I might rebuild it. Got a picture of Nehemiah um, touring Jerusalem before it's, after it's been raised. What this leads to is that is, uh, Artaxerxes says, go, take, and he he basically funds uh, the rebuilding of the walls, and more importantly, the rebuilding of a temple. Again, something absolutely unprecedented in world history. Nobody, no, no people or nation experienced this, where, where their, their, their place of religious expression, the place where they commune with God, was torn to the ground, ripped to its foundations, burned, the people exiled, and then returned, and given the opportunity to rebuild their place of worship. Never. How did this happen? How did this, this phenomenal coincidence, how did this, this trick of fate, this unprecedented thing, how did it all happen? It happened because the king is not the king. It happened because God has a much larger plan than Artaxerxes or Cyrus or Sennacherib or any of these people could possibly imagine. God had a plan, a desire to make sure that Israel survived because God was going to do amazing things through Israel. God swore to his people, I'm not going to quit on you, and he didn't. And so God works tinkers with the hearts of kings. And he sends them this way and that way in ways that no one understands at the time. And yet, after we we have the perspective, 2020, looking back on history, we see how the movements of these kings' hearts changed everything. How how the river of time and the river of history expanded and spread and, and moved the shores going to different places they never should have gone. Fast forward. AD 73. The people's temple is burned again in Israel by the Romans. It's sacked. Jerusalem is destroyed. And the Jews are sent from their homeland for good. For almost 2,000 years, they were running around Europe. Running around Asia populating these small little communities and still surviving and still hoping that one day they would be able to return because God had promised it to them. And of all people, Harry Truman, President, King of the United States, who was himself a uh, vicious anti-Semite, but he had a problem. 
had a problem because uh, there were hundreds of thousands of Jews who had survived uh, the internment camps at Dachau. The camps all over uh, Germany. Displaced. Their homes had been destroyed. Everything stolen from them. And they needed somewhere to go. Hundreds of thousands of refugees. Voice of the Martyrs type people. Harry Truman sure didn't want him to come to the United States. David Ben-Gurion uh, had been a, a Zionist and a nationalist, and he gave an option to the British government and the American government, give us a little space in our ancestral homeland. And before he even had permission, he brought uh, the Jewish people back, and then on May 14th, 1948, they declared, we, this is Israel, we've, we've reconstituted our nation. Immediately, Harry Truman said, we recognized Israel as a state. It's the, the, the homeland of ethnic uh, Jewish people. They can, they can come back, and, na- and then, and then, Again, mind you, this has absolutely never happened in world history, ever. Like, it's, it's absolutely mind-boggling that a group of people could be homeless for 2,000 years and then get a second, a third resurrection, a third chance at their homeland. For the next 50 to 60 years, Israel's been assailed from all sides until in 2017, in one of the most unlikely events that we could possibly imagine, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, of all people, went to Jerusalem and decided this is where the capital of of Israel is going to be. And he moved back the, the capital of Jerusalem, which I think was at Tel Aviv. He made it officially Jerusalem and caused everyone in the world to agree with him. And then this year, he announced, uh, you know, through the negotiations of his son-in-law, who's Jewish, uh, for the very first time since Israel was reconstituted in 1948, a normalized political relations with the Arab countries around. Now, I want you just to just to imagine. Let's say it's like 1988. Okay. Let's just say we're all living somewhere around New York in 1988, and we see on the tabloids that Donald Trump is uh, divorcing Ivanka in a very public way, real estate mogul. And let's just say you're, you're, you're interested in that. That's a, it's a fun tabloid story for you. And then I show up, and I say, hey, I'm from the year 2020. I want you to think about this. This guy, Donald Trump, he's going to normalize peace relationships with Israel and surrounding Arab countries and move the the capital of Israel to Jerusalem in like 30 years. What? Uh, no. This guy's a playboy billionaire. the, The last thing on Donald Trump's mind is having anything to do with Israel. You could have done it four years ago, and I'd have been like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. But you don't see, but that's because we don't believe. We don't, we don't really believe that the king is not the king. We think that kings are kings, and, you know, and, and, and God's up there doing whatever God's doing. But it, we, certainly nothing we can see here in the, real, in, the, in the here and now. It's all physics. It's all free choice. It's all, like, whatever the leader guy does. And yet... Look at this story we've just told. 
The story of a river of time that has moved in amazing, insane ways, doing things that are absolutely unprecedented, unrealistic, absolutely miraculous, and all because there were a few kings. Some of them liked the Jews, some of them didn't, but they all did stuff, and those actions were God shaping their hearts and and turning them little eddies and God moving them to make decisions that would, that would have monumental consequences throughout the centuries and the millennia. Is it possible that this is all just happenstance? Sure. But I'm not betting that way. Some of you are... Uh, Secretly, because you think that you're super outnumbered here. Uh, you're the Trump skeptics, the never Trump types. Uh, you think that uh, you're the only one. And so you're quiet about it. Um, but you're secretly ecstatic. We got rid of him. Next slide, I think. Is it Joe Biden? Yeah. I, I, <laughs> first off, you're not alone. And for those of you, those of you who I, I know, there's a lot of you who are, you know, Trump all the way, uh, you know, Trump people. Um, there are a very significant minority here. Uh, I'd say, honestly, probably maybe 30, 70, 70, 30. They don't say anything because they're afraid you're going to eat their face. Um, but, but they're there. They're, they're out. I, I know who you are. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, and secretly ecstatic. Finally, we got rid of, uh, you know, orange man bad, whatever. Um, we, we're, finally, we're going to have somebody who's presidential, who doesn't tweet. <laughs> um, The king is not the king. Don't put your trust in Joe Biden. It might be the case, uh, you know, there's, <laughs> at this point, like, I wouldn't put anything past Donald Trump. So, so, uh, so it's possible, I guess, that he's got legal things and maybe the courts will do something and overturn this, overturn that. Um, and and the, the, those of you who are big, big Trump fans, like, finally we got our guy. Um, king is not the king. Imagine again, just take it back. Imagine that you're one of these Jewish people, in, say, in Babylon, waiting for rescue, and, 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 and it looks hopeless. You're, you've been taken out of your, of your homeland. Your, your family has been decimated. You would never, you would be looking at being like, God, why? Are you there? You'd never see the big picture. You won't live to see it. And yet you are part of that river. You are part of the decisions that, that king is making in, in, from God through the king, making, shifting the river, shifting time, shifting the future in ways that you can't imagine. And so maybe that's where we as a congregation are now. Just a couple uh, ending thoughts. If the king is not the king, then what we're doing right now is we're waiting for the real king. And, man, whether it's Biden or Trump, whether it's Newsom, or are we, is he going to get recalled? Are we recalling Newsom? Okay, so after we recall Newsom, <laughs> or maybe he wins, I don't know. I don't know how popular the guy is, but, like, let's just assume we recall Newsom. Whoever replaces him, right, that new king, our job is to pray for the king to use the king. And even if we don't understand how it works, pray for the king to use the king. 
We don't know if, if it's Biden or Trump or Newsom or whoever. We're called to pray that God somehow shapes that heart to do things that even he doesn't understand to, to, to make it so that God's plans and purposes for his people come to fruition. And, and, know, and know that we might be in an eddy. We might be in a place where God's going to take you know, Joe Biden's heart or Trump's heart and like, turn it towards something that God wants right here, right now. It's going to be miraculous and amazing. Or it might be the, that we're in part of a meander, where, where we're part of something that God's just subtly shaping the king's actions so that something 10, 20, 100, 1,000 years from now comes to fruition. We don't know where we are, and maybe both are happening. But don't, don't get so blinded and so limited. We're like, wow, he did this. Green New Deal. Don't, don't sweat the small stuff. And the last thing is don't live by lies. Uh, and this does, it doesn't matter if it's Trump or Biden or Newsom or whomever. There's a book. I'm going to be plugging it all year. Uh, by a guy named Rod Dreher. He's an Orthodox Christian, so he's a little different than we are. But he uh, recognizes that, you know, kings come and go. But as the culture shifts, the church is called to remain faithful. And I suggest to you that one way or another, whatever happened on election day, I think it vindicates the fact that there is a very significant number of people in this country who are very, very anti-Christian and they're hostile to our way of life. And that's not going to go away whether Trump is president or Biden's president. Tim Cook doesn't like you. Mark Zuckerberg doesn't like you. Sergey Brin doesn't like you. Right now, they tolerate you. But at some point, they might not. And we as Christians must hold fast and remain faithful, raising our children in the true understanding of who God is, what the world is like, regardless of who rules. Because in the end, the king is not the king. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, settle in our hearts the truth that you are the king. And that the little ones, the little kings who run around this earth, that their hearts are channeled by you like streams and eddies and canals of water. That your purposes cannot be stopped. That whether we see it now or a thousand years from now, we will look back and realize that you were at work channeling Joe Biden and Donald Trump and every other king as you saw fit. Let us rest in that truth. Let us be vigilant. Let us be faithful to pray for our kings. To pray that you'll turn their hearts. Let us remain faithful no matter how hostile the culture becomes. To never forget that the king is not the king. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.